to the Win Win Evangelism Podcast. My name's Tina Waldrum and today I'm speaking with Mike Wardrop in South Australia and we're talking about a new era for church and evangelism. Welcome to you, Mike. Thanks, Tina. Great to be with you. It is awesome to have you along and uh, just as a way of introduction, Mike, you're the lead pastor at Encounter Church in Adelaide and what I love so much is you run your own podcast called Read the Room. So it's exciting to have you along. It's good. We've got to stick together, fellow podcasters. We do. So let's talk about this. Is it a new era for church and evangelism? I mean, COVID hit and everything seemed to have changed. What was your um, observations? And you've got a huge background. You've been around for, you've got the runs on the board, Mike. So things have changed. How have they changed? Yeah, well, I mean, I think... You know, constantly, if we're church leaders, we're, we're always asking that question, what is God doing next, right? What is the move of the Holy Spirit that I can be paying attention to and catching on to? And I think, you know, for starters, it's always important we're asking that question as opposed to, what am I going to do? It's, or, no, no, what, what's God already doing that I need to participate with and, and get on with? And, you know, for us, we, we run a fairly young church, Encounter Church, the church that my wife and I are the lead pastors of, is uh, almost four years old. So we planted that back in mid-2018. And when we planted it, we thought, oh, this is pretty hard. Uh, you know, it's it's hard yakka starting this from the ground up, and it was. Uh, and we did that for about two years or so, or I guess just under two years, and it was starting to get the momentum that we'd hoped for, and then boom, in comes COVID. And that just sort of changed the paradigm. Obviously, we started using all the words that everyone else did. We were pivoting. It was a new normal. It was all all the words we're trying to not to use anymore because we've all grown thoroughly sick of them. And we got to the end of that and we realized that everything felt different. And And probably the first time I really named it was... Three or four months ago, I had a, a, a young church planner come to me and say, oh, can I, can I catch up with you regularly? You've sort of, you're a few years in. I'm about to start this journey and you can, you can sort of tell me what worked. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Really happy to share all our stories. Really happy to say what worked. I just don't think it'll work the same anymore, even though it's only three years later at the time. And so that, I guess, is the, the meta picture. I, I just think COVID has changed the game for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And if I look back on... The church journey that I've been a part of and I know that this has been your experience also we did see you know years ago we saw this movement that we called the seeker movement where we in our churches we were trying to put on things and answer questions for people and it was pitched at seekers really and we were trying to get them in the building and and it's moved from there to this kind of a missional discussion and and now it's moved again um, to something that you're talking about kind of into this discipleship space tell us a little bit about those three moves as you see them from the seeker to the missional to what you're calling discipleship type stuff now yeah, sure. Yeah, I 100% agree with that assessment. I, you know, I I came to faith when I was 20 years old, uh, so an adult convert, and uh, didn't have any plans to come into faith. And then God just interrupted my life and has continued to do so ever since. And so I guess I came I came to faith in where are we now? 22. So actually, it's about 2020, uh, 2001. I came to faith. So, so the seeker sensitive movement was massive. And so this is a movement that is fully aimed at getting the outsiders in. So that's people that don't currently have a relationship with Jesus, get them in the building, make church compelling and interesting and contemporary. And I think that word contemporary is pretty important for the seeker sensitive movement. And basically, it's it's a bit like the old olden days of if you build it they will come but if you build it and make it 
kind of understandable and contemporary, then they will come. And that worked up to a point. And I, I really honour the seeker-sensitive movement because their hearts were in a place of going, I want to be a church for the unchurched. And I, I love and respect that. And to, honestly, I, I keep that DNA. Then from there, we got to a point where a lot of people weren't coming into the church and we had to ask the question, oh, why aren't they? And the missional church movement rose up basically out of answering that question, could it be that the church isn't a building? Which, you know, we all know theologically, but practically we find it pretty difficult to live that out sometimes, I think. And so the missional church made that that real impetus of what if we went out to where the people are? So rather than getting the people to come in here. We went out to be among the people. So we took mission as a primary sense of our vocation and went out and were missional daily. Uh, we lived missional lives. We, in a, in a lot of ways, there was a deconstruction of church, a healthy deconstruction at the start, although I think that's moved into an unhealthy place. Um, the, the healthy deconstruction helped us put down the golden calf of what church was at the time and go out and meet people. So you've got great leaders like Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch um, thinking their way through that. Then you've got uh, modern pioneers like Mark Sayers who, who, who were sort of around that. But a lot of those guys at some point ran into the limitations of the missional church, which is, in effect, okay, let's say the seeker-sensitive church brought people in and said, if you if you sit here and we entertain you, you you'll love Jesus. It's like, well... Worked for a few people, but it didn't work for everybody. It's like, okay, what if we, if we, what if we take all that to you, and then you'll love Jesus? And a lot of people sort of went, well, number one, we don't really understand this because you're taking it out of the church building, and that was a framework we understood. But number two, we just, we just don't want it. So you can, you can have church in a cafe, but it's no more appealing to us than if you did it in a giant auditorium. And so I feel like when COVID hit, that was really the death of the missional church movement. And as, as I was saying to you beforehand, Tina, I really want to be careful to use the word movement. Um, churches, please be missional. Please, please be missional in your thinking and in your behavior. But that movement, I feel, really came to an end when COVID began. Uh, because number, what, what can we do? You can't go out to the people when you're locked down. And we've tried to do it in a digital way. And that's had um, different levels of success. It's been something that absolutely had to happen. We've had to work hard at being a digital church. That's been a, a, um, a necessary move for us. But it's not sufficient. And I don't think any of the people that are, are really at the front end of the digital movement that have said, oh, yeah, yeah, digital church is the future. You find very few of them that say this is the only future. Most of those church leaders are also saying we want to find a way to be gathered with our people. But the problem is the people that we want the unchurched to come and gather with are no longer discipled well enough to disciple those people. And so Mike Breen, the uh, the English theologian, puts it this way. He says, basically, you've got to have a, a discipleship saturation. If we want to talk about incarnational kind of mission, which is part of the thing the missional church we're on about, let's be incarnational, you have to have people that understand what they're incarnating. Like, what do they know what it means to be a disciple? Because if they don't, and you bring somebody in and you say, hey, come and spend life with us. Yes, come to church on Sunday and have an awesome time. Seeker sensitive. Yes, it's not just about Sunday. It's about the rest of life. It's about going out. It's being vocational. It's missional, the missional movement. But if you do those things, and the people you do those things with can't effectively disciple you into the kind of disciple that makes other disciples, then the game's over. We, we've actually lost what we're meant to do. And unfortunately, in Australia and in a lot of the West, I think that's where we've hit. We've hit a place where we have discipled poorly for a long period of time. And this is not a finger pointing. This is a, a hand raised kind of moment. 
we've discipled poorly for a long period of time and it's left us in a pretty shallow narcissistic culture with some fairly shallow narcissistic disciples who are saying, well, if you don't entertain me, because that's what you promised in Seeker Sensitive, and you don't come exactly where I am and kind of meet my preferences in this moment, which is kind of the worst part of the missional church, then I can't be a disciple because I actually don't feel affirmed or loved in the way I want, which is the emotional train wreck um, nature of, of much of our culture at the moment. So, again, it's not that either of these movements were bad. They, they were very important. They had their day. But they have come to an end in my mind, and, and we're at what I would call the discipleship moment or a discipleship movement. I, d- I don't have a better name for it than that. I'm sure someone will sell a book based on a better name, but uh, that's what I'm calling it at the moment. Yeah, that's a fantastic summary and overview of where we've been and potentially where we're heading. And I really appreciate how clearly you've uh, articulated that today. So let's pick up on this comment that you said. So when COVID hit, you think that that is bringing to an end this discipleship, uh, sorry, this missional movement era. Talk to us a little bit more about that. You made a few indications of why, but let's lean into it a bit further and how do we move forward? Mm. Well, again, and I just do this for the compare and contrast, um, one of the things the seeker-sensitive movement did really well was they just relaxed everything a little bit so the barrier to entry to church was lower. So people were able to come into the church and go, you know, that old classic, oh, the lightning's going to strike me down when I walk through the door. It's like, okay. Uh, you know, they, the seeker-sensitive movement made that a lot easier. They took off their tires, they took off their jackets, and they started preaching. And they preached in a way that was accessible. And the missional movement have taken that a step further again. And it's more, you know, much as I'm dressed now, jeans and a T-shirt, like, we're actually not worried about dressing up for you. Uh, what we want to do is help you understand that all of life is on mission. Um, but we were finding the limits of that movement. And, um, and I think some of the limits of that movement were when you deconstruct church, you end up with deconstructed disciples which is, is what has happened with a lot of people. Um, now, again, seeker sensitive, when you, when you make it all about consumerism and make it for you, you end up with entertained disciples. So th- there's a limitations to all of these different ideas and movements. And, and so, and then of course, when we're locked in in COVID, we physically cannot go out to people. Uh, and the church did not move quickly enough in being digital with, with the exception of a few churches. Obviously, Life Church was, has always been excellent at that. Um, Holy Trinity Brompton Alpha went online pretty quickly. So they were finding ways to bring the mission of the church to people in in lockdown Uh, but what we found is that we've run into a wall in effect of of how we can bring the gospel to people just by being with them just by going well what if we do this in a cafe instead okay well what if we have a have a lunchtime meeting in our workplace instead all that stuff is great but it's not any more effective than than the church on Sunday format. So instead of that, I think going back to what I was talking about before, the question then becomes less about the people that we're reaching. It still becomes about that. I don't want to dismiss that at all. It's always about the mission field. But to, it's it's about the people we've got working as well. So I think of that, that classic line where Jesus says, the harvest is many, but the workers are few. And I can't tell you how many times I've read that, Tina, and just by default, listen to that as going, the harvest is difficult and the workers are here. Now, that's not what it says, but in my mind, I always kind of translate it to that. Like, oh, the harvest is there, but it's really hard. So I guess we'll have to work hard to get it. But that's not what Jesus says. 
He says the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers who are few. And that's where we are. I think we've got very few workers because we've discipled them either to, to basically a discipleship of their own convenience based on the culture around us, which has told us constantly, hey, we're now about subscriptions rather than memberships. You don't have to sign up. There's no fee. There's no bar. There's no barrier to entry. You just sign up and you and you get out whenever you want. And, and so that has seeped into the church and it's seeped into our discipleship, which means at a root level, as soon as anything difficult comes up, let's say suffering comes into our lives, we're not equipped to deal with it. If all we're thinking about is one, entertain me, two, I better go and, and do things for Jesus. It's like, well, no, no, no. Uh, In the discipleship model, you've got to ask yourself, am I being with Jesus? Am I being fed from the well? Am I going to the secret place? And so I think, again, it's not about the seeker-sensitive or the missional model being bad, and it's not about this current model being perfect. I think the, the season we're in right now has got to be about creating resilient disciples who understand what it means to follow Jesus and come out the other side of any troubles, and fair to say these last two years qualify as troubles, Come out the other side with joy, still proclaiming the gospel, still with a sense of mission, still with a sense of contextualizing it to contemporary culture, but with joy and with depth so that no matter what comes across our path, we are unshaken in what we believe, but at the same time, we are joy-filled and gracious and deep about it. Yeah. Okay. So that is really, really clear for me. So this is what I hear you saying. Tell me if I'm, if I'm getting this right. So I'm hearing you say that when, cause we're articulating this today and talking about then how do we actually reach out to the world around us? Um, how does the world know who Jesus is? What you're saying, Mike, is as we look at the seeker movement, which I, totally thought saw all the strengths that you saw as well but again but it didn't equip or didn't train or didn't make disciples of individual people it said bring your friends and we will put on something that's appropriate for them so the lack was it still didn't actually make have a discipleship emphasis for the everyday person then the missional uh, church movement what you're saying wonderful we actually took those uh, took the church outside of the four walls and we had cafe church and different things but again we still didn't have which was wonderful great outcomes but we still didn't have a primary focus on making people disciples of Jesus where they're strong in their faith where they understand that inherently as a Christ follower I am about the mission of God and how do I do that and so what you're saying now is what's come to the forefront is that actually the church needs to go back to the ground roots where every believer is made into a strong disciple of Christ. And part of that is that they are equipped to organically or naturally share their faith. Is that what you're saying? I, th- I think that's a really good summary, Tina. Yeah. Well, I'm amening. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just just to just to put that in in perspective, and then and then we can get onto some application stuff because that's the most important thing. There's no point raising questions and complaining without looking to some application. I I think uh, what the seeker sensitive movement did by accident is they took these three ideas of our Christology uh, at the study of Christ and the belief in Christ, our missiology, our study of mission and understanding of mission, and our ecclesiology, the study of how we gather. Right, these three are always really important. And I think what they did is they were so desperate to work out a new way to gather that the seeker-sensitive movement put ecclesiology first and Christology second and missiology last. 
And the missional movement saw the flaw in that. And they were so desperate to reach people more effectively where they were that they flipped those and they put missiology first and Christology second. So again, they did not, it's not like they eliminated Christ and ecclesiology came last, the, the desperation to reach people. What I think the moment where we're in entails, like every moment, is that Christology, who is Jesus and, and what is our belief in Jesus and how does that impact our life personally, must come first. And from a depth of that understanding, then comes the mission. Then comes the mission with stuff. How am I reaching people? How am I sharing my faith? Because we've all been in that place where we go to share our faith and somebody asks us one question and we panic and go, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. So do I even have a faith? And it's like, yes, you do. Relax. It's okay. Just take a deep breath. Tell them you don't know the answer. Go away and come back. But but the, there's that sense that we've, we've forgotten to put the deep roots first in Christ before we start going out on mission and it's reciprocal, right? It's not one and then the other. It's a bit of both at the same time, but we've got to make sure we're going as deep as we go wide. And then when we go out on mission, that'll build the church naturally, because if you're doing mission properly, the way that Jesus is calling us to, you're going to be bringing people into a gathering place. And and I firmly, firmly believe I'm a local church pastor. We meet every Sunday, usually twice a week, three this year. Now we're consolidated into uh, once a week because South Australia is just a COVID mess at the moment. But um, I'm, I'm a a big believer in, in the gathering on Sunday. I love having a good, compelling gathering on Sunday. But unless we've got people who are there who understand who they are in Christ, they are the workers being sent out into the harvest. That's the missiology part to then gather people together in a natural sort of ecclesiology. That is, we will form based around the people we're reaching instead of forming and going like this or going out there and going, ah, the forming's not that important. It's got to start with Jesus. Yeah, that is a great summary of it. Absolutely. That is just so good. Let's talk about the practical application of that. So how is that working? Say in your church, you're um, in Adelaide, wonderful church going on there, Uniting Church background, which is just fascinating and wonderful to hear what's going on there in Adelaide. So how does it look? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, we're we a pretty Baptocostal church, uh, we like to say, Tina, in that we're, we're Bible-fed and spirit-led, and, and we try very hard to hold those two things in equal measure. Um, you know, we, we really rely on the Word of God, and, uh, and we use that to send us out, and we're led by the Spirit of God. So we're trying to, we're trying to hold those things in equal measure, uh, and we believe that's, that's pretty important in terms of mission. Um, in terms of disciples, like I've just got to put my hand to my heart and say we're not we're not a mega church and we're not we're not like I don't know the most successful church in the state or anything we are like every other church leader constantly asking the question of God would you help us be faithful to what you put in our hand and would you help us to go ahead and be a part of your mission and um, so we're we're a predominantly young adult and young family church uh, we've we've just come through a period where honestly it feels like everyone is getting engaged or getting pregnant like a a staggering amount of people so it's it's really fun but that means our church is naturally starting to shift away from young adults into young families which is a different mission field easier in some ways less dynamic in others uh it means things like volunteers can be harder so filling out a roster post-COVID and uh, as people start to get into wedding planning and baby planning is more difficult because they've got other things going on in their lives. And so that's got an effect on on how we do things from week to week. 
So in terms of discipleship, um, we have tried to put it at the very centre. Probably the most helpful thing we've begun to do is we've been on a year-long journey so far with the building a discipling culture team. Uh, so that comes out comes out of England originally um, and some of Mike Breen's work there. Um, Dale and Edie Stevenson at Crossway are really driving that, in particular with their team, Tim Pierce, Tim Brosnan. They've got an amazing team there uh, who are coaching us up in that. And so that's available to every church to jump on board with. It's a two-year discipleship plan. They're not paying me to do this. I just think it's really good. Uh, it's a two-year discipleship plan that you can jump on. There's some sponsorship behind it. And you get a personal coach who would sort of tailor for you the kind of discipleship tools and techniques, basically like a discipleship mission and evangelism suite for your church. So that's been the predominant thing we've been using. Uh, the biggest and most profound tool in that is something called uh, Discovery Bible Method, which some of your listeners might be familiar with, but is effectively as simple as finding somebody who does not yet know Jesus, who likes you, listens to you and serves you, and then asking them, do you want to read the Bible with me? And slowly but surely, letting the Word of God disciple them towards faith in Jesus. Uh, so one of the things that makes I guess, and, and this probably comes back to our overarching discussion. One of the reasons I think we're in a new era is we're not converting towards discipleship. We're discipling towards conversion. That is, we are starting with people well before they're followers of Jesus and recognizing that it's not going to be, hey, here in three easy steps, you can become a Christian. Here's a tract. Read it. Now you'll be a believer. You, you might be intellectually, but it's got to drop down here as well. It's going to drop into the heart. And so what, what I really love about the Discovery Bible Method, so I'm doing it with a friend of mine at the moment, and we've only met once. It was, we would have met a few more times, but uh, just being diagnosed with COVID, so I've been in lockdown for a couple of weeks, <laughs> fun times. And, uh, and so what we, we do is we just meet together and, and we read through. We're reading through the Gospel of Luke together, and he just uh, we just read together. We let the Scripture do the talking. I don't push him at all. I let him draw out of it what's going on. But then he asks questions because he knows why we're there. Like, he's not silly. He knows I want him to believe in Jesus. But there's enough there that he wants to start asking these questions himself as well. And so he'll begin to draw that out. Uh, and then there's a bit of homework at the end. We say, okay, what are we going to do about it? And so we go away and, and you do that about it. So I'm doing that. My wife's doing that. We've got a group, a, a team of us at Encounter who are doing that. And we're actually at the end of this month just about to start recruiting and training our second cohort to do that. So that's that's sort of the major the major thing behind that. And there are a whole bunch of techniques that I don't have the time or the expertise to, to go into right now that uh, BDC offers. So that's that's probably the main skeleton we use there. Um we, the other thing we use as well is just really, really simple stuff, which is the, the same life group and Sunday model that so many people use. And we just really push it on invitation and personal responsibility. That is to say, most people, if you, if you look at some of the data from people like the Barna Group or McCrindle, most people, if you as a personal friend or somebody that knows them, reach out and invite them, will come to church with you. Most people like the Christians they know. But most people don't like Christians as a group, as a, an overarching concept. So if you ask in a survey, do you like Christians? A lot of people will say no, more, more than 50%. But if you ask, do you like your friends who are Christians? Very much so, really overwhelmingly positive. So we push invitation, and that's the seeker-sensitive part. But we also push personal responsibility, and this is a bit more the missional discipleship part. That is to say, look, you can invite them, invite them to church or life group. You find out whichever whichever place you think is more appropriate to invite your friend to, because who knows your friend better than you?
than you. Not me, not your life group leader. You do. So you work it out. You provide the best connection. And then you take the primary responsibility to follow up. So our church, we have uh, processes to follow up new people, of course. We want to be, you know, uh, helpful with that. If, if somebody's going to walk through our door, we want to respect that and honor that. But more than anything, we want our people who bring their friends to go, okay, this is your problem, not mine. Like if, if they're only going to be discipled on a Sunday when Mike's preaching, they are going to get a really poor discipleship for the other 167 hours of the week. So how are you connecting with your mate? Are you just checking in on them, sending them a text, catching up with them for coffee? doesn't have to be a deep spiritual convo every time, but you're building those relationship ties. And that's uh, one, of, one of the BDC lines is about the, the gap between invitation and challenge. So we push that invitation really, really hard. So when the time comes to challenge them, Give your life to Jesus. Consider the truths that come out in the scriptures. Uh, consider that Jesus might be the only way to God. These hard challenges come up. But the invitation level, the relationship is so strong at that point that there's a more natural leaning to say yes. Yeah, fantastic answer. Gosh, you've opened up a can of worms and I'm sure there's <laughs> uh, lots more questions that people now have in their minds. But look, I'm going to drop all the links to what Mike and I have been talking about today in our show notes so that you can click on there. You can check out the podcast that Mike runs himself. You can check out the church. You can check out the building discipleship culture stuff that he's talking about as well. And you can start to go down that wonderful rabbit hole and see what could be different. Is it a new era for church and evangelism? Mike, thank you so much for your time today. So glad to be with you, Tina. Thanks for your time. As a listener of our podcast, you can now access a free sample of our online personal evangelism course. Go to www.evangelisminaustralia.com australia.com forward slash free sample i really hope you enjoy that 